Today on Ag News Daily. Based on our solution to that mystery, we have designed molecules that can be developed into medicines that help animals thrive exactly the same way antibiotics do. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Deline Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, it is a gloomy, drizzly day here in central Iowa. I think we're getting some of those rains you guys have had earlier in the week. Well, I hate to tell you this because I know you don't like the rain, but it is a beautiful day down here in Lubbock. I There's there's not a cloud in the sky. I don't know what the temperature is. I haven't been outside of my house yet this morning, but it's a pretty day, I guess, compared to what you're doing in Iowa. Yeah, it's not so pretty today, but hopefully it clears up here by Thanksgiving. And uh, in honor of Thanksgiving, today is our last podcast of the week as we will be celebrating Thanksgiving this year, you with your family and me, not so much, but that's okay. Um just doing a small fam or a small gathering with my boyfriend and myself since we have to quarantine together and I guess my dog. <laughs> but um, in honor of Thanksgiving, Ashton, I looked up some fun Thanksgiving facts. Well, let's hear them. I'm excited about this. Okay, so for your Thanksgiving dishes, what do you typically have as your standard dishes, Ashton? Well, I guess my family's a little bit different. We don't really do turkey. We do ham. And then my my grandma, she makes this amazing pot roast with cream and mushroom soup. And that's probably our, our big dishes, I suppose. Okay. But what do you have for your side dishes? Those are the real important ones, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. We have, of course, mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, sweet potato casserole, um, maybe some, some creamed corn or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably a little pumpkin pie for dessert if you're a pumpkin pie fan. Oh, absolutely. I 1000% am a pumpkin pie fan. <laughs> so am I. And so are a lot of Americans. In fact, the U.S. produces nearly one and a half billion pounds of pumpkin each year. And quite a bit of that is ate at Thanksgiving, of course, while you're eating your good old Thanksgiving pumpkin pie. 50 million pumpkin pies are eaten each year on Thanksgiving, Ashton. Oh my gosh. I, I honestly will say probably, you know, at least uh, a few of those, maybe maybe five or so are eaten by me. Um, The other thing a lot of people have, I don't personally have this, but a lot of folks have uh, cranberries, something, cranberry sauce, cranberry juice, cranberry desserts, whatever. That's a very typical Thanksgiving um, side as well. And while Americans consume nearly 400 million pounds of cranberries a year, 20% of those cranberries are consumed during Thanksgiving week. Well, we haven't had anything cranberry in quite some time. My great-grandma used to absolutely be obsessed, I think we could call it, with cranberry sauce. And so she would, I I can't remember if she would make it or if she would just drop it from a can. But we we (laughs) haven't had some cranberry sauce in a long time. But I do remember that she used to absolutely love it. I feel like that's Mm -hmm. an older generation kind of thing. Yeah, I would agree. We, Yeah, I can remember my grandma 
has made it before, but don't know a lot of my family that eats it other than my grandma. But the other uh, main one you mentioned there was mashed potatoes. I don't have a specific statistic about how many mashed potatoes people eat during Thanksgiving week, but uh, the United States produces nearly 50 billion pounds of potatoes each year with Idaho and Washington being the top two states. So I bet that we will be eating either some Idaho or Washington potatoes at our Thanksgiving meals this year. I don't doubt that. And I love potatoes in any kind of form. So I definitely am a year round kind of potato eater. Definitely so not. So am I. So am I. And okay, one more fact for you, because um, every year the National Turkey Federation raises a turkey for the White House's Thanksgiving dinner. And this year they are too named Corn and Cob. If you are interested in seeing a picture of them, they look like big, fat, white turkeys. But uh, those will be part of the annual presidential pardon that happens at the White House today. Well, Delaney, I'm so glad that you brought up turkey because I have some turkey news and it's pretty good concerning uh, the Thailand ban on poultry from the U.S., While turkey consumption here in the U.S. is, of course, expected to decline because of COVID-19, exports to Thailand are expected to increase. Earlier this month, Thailand opened the market for fresh U.S. turkey meat for the first time in six years. The country put a ban on all U.S. poultry imports after outbreaks of avian flu in California and Washington in 2014. And two plants in North Carolina are now approved to export raw turkey meat to Thailand for a three-year period. And the USDA's Foreign Ag Service forecasts that U.S. turkey meat exports will increase by as much as 70% by the end of 2021. So definitely some good news for our turkey producers out there. And I'm glad you brought up USDA's Foreign Ag Service because they also put out some estimates for a stronger than expected first quarter of fiscal year 2021. They're saying fiscal year 2021 in general should eclipse 2020 and we should see continued strong exports for soybeans, sorghum, corn and and wheat, as well as proteins. They raised their forecast for U.S. ag exports to $152 billion for fiscal year 2021. That's an $11.5 billion increase from what they last projected in August. Now, they're tying these increase in exports largely to China, with China's forecast to be at a record $27 billion dollars of spending that they're anticipating China to do within the United States or with the United States, I should say. And obviously that was largely tied here, is largely tied to the phase one trade agreement that will continue here into 2021. They're also saying that um, U.S. pork and poultry products are anticipated to see impact in a good way next year as well with those both forecasted up as well as U.S. rice. So it sounds like overall things are sounding pretty optimistic here heading into 2021. Well, Delaney, I want to talk about some trade or I guess some market disruptions, possible disruptions, I should say, but I have a question first. Okay. What's your question? So how much of an impact does the Missouri River have on trade and navigation? Do you know that? Mm. 
Uh, is this a trick question, Ashton? Are you testing my knowledge of our BARD system? No, I actually, it's a, it's a genuine question because this article that I'm about to share is talking about the Missouri River and the mm-hmm. navigation, but I didn't want to quite say that there's going to be disruptions in trade or the markets, but kicking things off, there's emergency repairs underway on the Missouri River navigation system where receding floodwaters have revealed a lot of damage to navigation structures. So I was pretty curious to see on whether or not the Missouri River really had a big impact because I know that the Mississippi is, you know, obviously quite quite a big one. So I just kind of wanted to know that before I get things kicked off here. Uh, Missouri River, I think, is still an integral part of our trading system. Not as much, though, like you're suggesting as the Mississippi River is. But the Missouri River, I think, starts in like the Sioux City area and travels through St. Louis, which St. Louis is a big export area for us. There's a lot of commercial storage and commercial elevators in that area. So I would suspect that the Missouri River is also pretty important to our trading system, Ashton. If I had to take a guess, again, I'm no barge expert, but uh, that's my early speculation. Gotcha. Well, they're they're still getting some help down there along the Missouri River, but Colonel Bill Hannon, commander of the Kansas City Corps of Engineers District, says that more than 5,000 damaged structures, I should say, not surfaces, have been revealed. And he was quoted as saying, we had about 21 significant areas where the channel was less than nine feet. Hannon says that barges have been grounded, tugboats damaged, having a big effect on navigation, mostly between Kansas City and St. Louis. And barges have had to go with less fill. They've had to do with a less number of barges. But Hannon says that the help of numerous crews, including the Omaha District and the Rock Island District along the Mississippi River, they've been able to get some shipments through. And after December 1st, after the Thanksgiving holiday, Hannon says that they will do a full estimate of all the damages, but he knows they will come up short on funding. So not exactly sure yet how this will affect trading or navigation, of course, but definitely something to keep our eyes out on. Absolutely. It certainly is, Ashton. Another thing to keep our eye out on is Brazilian rains and Brazilian weather in general. We saw some beneficial rains happen last week, which helped speed up soybean planting in two of Brazil's largest farming states, Parana and Mato Grosso. And that is helping farmers near their completion for this year's planting season, according to Ag World. We've seen them now at about 80% planted, an 11% jump from a week ago. So those rains they've been getting were very timely, as I mentioned there. But uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on that because, of course, that's really, as Darren mentioned yesterday, what soybeans especially are going to be watching here until about February to see what the trade realizes as far as soybean production down, excuse me, down in Brazil. Well, Delaney, I have some soybean news as well as cotton, tomatoes, oranges, and melons, and some other arable crops. Syngenta 
is introducing Spiropidian. It's a new insect control technology company officials say will help farmers protect their crops against damaging sucking pests in an effective and environmentally sustainable manner. Sucking pests that include aphids, white flies, and scales devastate high-value fruit and vegetables, like I mentioned, and they are important for aerable crops, or not important, I should say. The, the pests aren't important, but these crops are, um, like cotton and soybeans. Spiripidian is safe to natural beneficial insects like pollinators, and it, the the new herbicide offers farmers a new tool for integrated pest management programs and Spiropidian results from chemistry driven innovation within a rare class of insecticides that helps crops from the inside, protecting the whole plant body from attacking of damaging sucking pests. And this helps secure crop quality yields and the livelihood of farmers. So definitely exciting as it is not damaging to those pollinators that crops actually, of course, need, but really just trying to get out those aphids, white flies, and scales. Interesting. Okay, Ashton. That's an I'm not sure where you found that piece of news, but I don't think I've seen that one come across. It was actually on Successful Farming, so I'm pretty excited about it myself. All right. Well, Ashton, I tell you what, we are actually recording the podcast a little early today. Markets haven't quite closed, so we're not necessarily going to hop through those market prices. Uh, but I do want to say soybeans were down just slightly today. As I mentioned, we haven't seen the trade close quite yet. But uh, periods are going to probably close lower. Heard some rumors that China canceled a soybean shipment, and that's what's pushing things a little lower today. Of course, another possible idea is that the funds are squaring up positions ahead of the holiday week here, but nothing to be concerned about as of yet, I would say. But Ashton, I tell you what, since we're not going to talk markets for today, tell us who we are going to be talking to for today's Tech Tuesday interview. Today, we are talking to Horace Nall of Nutrivert. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Horace Nall of Nutrivert. Horace, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Happy to be with you, Ashton. So before we really get into the nitty gritty of what Nutrivert is, which sounds super exciting, I'm really interested in the work that you're doing, and I can't wait to get into that. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and really how the idea of Nutrivert came to be? I've spent most of my career in pharmaceuticals for animals. And I had the good fortune to work uh, on Ivamec, which was the Nobel Prize-winning compound that did more to help both people and animals against parasites than any other medicine ever invented. In the last five or six years, uh, with my partner, Bernhard Kaltenbeck, why we've been struggling to understand how it was that antibiotics helped livestock to thrive even when you gave them at doses too low to treat bacterial disease. And 
in 2016, we believe we solved that mystery, which had bedeviled veterinary science for 70 years. Based on our solution to that mystery, we have designed molecules that can be developed into medicines that help animals thrive exactly the same way antibiotics do, but that don't uh, select for antimicrobial resistance in the gut bacteria of treated animals. That's very important to us, Ashton, and to the world, we think, because this is the largest pharmaceutical market on earth, antibiotics for livestock. While it's necessary to help animals against clinical disease, it's also used to promote growth at low doses that select for strains of bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics and that then jump from animals to humans, causing diseases that medicine just can't cure. Gotcha. That's super interesting stuff. And, you know, what? from what I can tell from your website, you're using postbiotics, which isn't really something that I'm familiar with when we're talking about, you know, biotics. It's normally prebiotics. So what really gave you the idea for a postbiotic and how does it work? A great question, Ashton. Only in the last 10 years or so has medical science come to grips with the fact that the 40 trillion bacteria that live in our guts aren't just passive riders in this taxi. They interact with the host, both in uh, humans and in non-human animals, and have important effects on the host. And some of those effects are good. A postbiotic is a substance released by the bacteria inside of us that has an effect upon us. So we all know what an antibiotic is. It's designed to kill bacteria. A probiotic tends to be a bacterial colony that you uh, take into your own body with an idea towards adjusting the balance of the microbiome within you. And a prebiotic is nutrition for the probiotic. Only recently have people begun to think about what the byproducts are of the bacteria in our guts and what effect they have. And our product is a postbiotic. The solution we found to how it is that antibiotics given at subtherapeutic doses help animals to thrive is as follows. They have an effect even at those low doses on the cell walls of the bacteria in our guts, releasing compounds from those bacteria. And those postbiotic compounds have this marvelous and magical effect of calming intestinal inflammation we discovered that we could do the same thing by designing and producing synthetic analogs of those compounds, which can be made very cheaply. And because they can be made very cheaply are suitable for development as medicines to help livestock thrive. This is certainly interesting stuff. And it's it's very deep in the level of knowledge behind Nutrovert with 
With that being said, is the NutriVert product for a certain kind of animal? Because as I'm sure that you know, you know, the way that the animal's system is different from a monogastric to a to a ruminant to a hindgut fermenter. So is it all does it all work the same in each kind of livestock animal? Another excellent question. We have shown that it works in pigs and in broilers. And you use that key word monogastric. We haven't yet shown that it works in ruminants, which are animals with at least two stomachs, one for the chewing of cud. We have every reason to believe that it will, because the pathway by which this works is evolutionarily conserved. It's present in all mammals. So we think it'll work, but at Nutrivert, we have focused our bet so far on the pig, and we'll develop it for the cow, particularly beef cattle, later in the development program. Gotcha. And I, I'm glad that you kind of touched on that because as it stands right now, Nutrivert products aren't up for sale in the market right now. So you guys are still kind of going through those studies and you haven't quite reached the step for it to have pharmaceutical approval. So with, with that being said, I guess, what does your timeline look like or what is your goal on when you can have these products on the shelf? We're hoping that we'll be on the market in four years. Awesome. And is that something Choice. that you have you to first. go through the, the FDA or who really gives you that pharmaceutical approval? We've made the choice to seek a full-dress pharmaceutical approval from the FDA. We think that that is the right way to do this from a regulatory point of view, and it will give us kind of the, um, the uh, standing that should be given to a high-science medicine, a, science, a, a medicine supported by deep and well-controlled scientific studies. Of course, of course. And right now, are you guys seeing a lot of support from folks within the livestock industry behind the idea of a postbiotic rather than an antibiotic? Or what kind of feedback have you gotten thus far? Everybody in livestock knows that the consumer or many consumers um, will pay more to purchase uh, meat products that antibiotics weren't used in making them. Everybody knows that a great advantage to antibiotics is that they reduce the cost of production by enabling treated animals to convert less feed into more weight gain. With Nutrivert, we have the best of both those worlds. Nutrivert treated animals convert less feed into more weight gain, and they also enable the producer to charge the prices associated with antibiotic-free production methods. They still know that we intend to go through the whole FDA approval process, so they can't order now. But all the feedback we've gotten is that once we reach the market, there will be a very large demand for our product. 
I think you're you're absolutely right. There is such a large market for animals who are raised antibiotic free. And I think that that's just a market that's going to continue to grow. And Nutrivert definitely meets that where where it is in the market. But uh, I, I just have one more question for you. And that's just talking about how Nutrivert is administered. Is it just, you know, in, in a feed? Is it going to be some kind of injection? What does that look like? It'll be in feed, and we've made a point of studying it to be sure that it still works after you make it into pellets in a commercial feed pelleting plant, and it does. Gotcha. Well, I I said I had one more question, but I just had another pop into my mind, and that's a withdrawal period for a lot of you know, drugs used in traditional or conventional raising of livestock, they have that withdrawal period. So is that going to be something that Nutrivert has? We think that we won't, but we have to prove it to the Food and Drug Administration. We know exactly how to do that, and we haven't run the studies yet. We are optimistic that there will be no withdrawal period, but there may be one. And if there is one, we think it will be very brief. Gotcha. Well, uh, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to see where Nutrivert is in the next four years. Again, uh, Harris, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Ashton. Good questions. I enjoyed being with you. Thanks again there to Harris for coming on the podcast today, talking about animal health, especially when it comes to antibiotics, I think is a pretty hot topic right now. And I think it's only going to continue to do that as market demand increases. I would certainly agree, Ashton. And as consumer demand increases, that is for sure. Absolutely, Delaney. Well, like you said, this is our last podcast episode this week, but be sure folks to tune back in on Monday. I believe that is December. I I don't know exactly what day it is, but it's going to be December the next time we have an Ag News Daily episode. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.